Hey, welcome to Faith Marketplace, where we equip individuals, entrepreneurs, small business owners with resources plus community to make a kingdom impact to glorify our mighty God while gaining inspiration from marketplace leaders. I'm Bob Lambert, the host of Faith Marketplace and the founding partner of Samurai Business Group. At Samurai, we offer entrepreneurs, individuals, small mid-market companies, and their teams advanced business development and sales skills training. Most of our clients report that they have doubled or tripled top-line revenue within 12 to 18 months. At Samurai, we say we put the win back in your sales. And boy, this is a great one today, folks. I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to somebody I've known for 20 years. I'd like to introduce you to Ashish Kathari. He is the founder and CEO of Happiness Squad. And believe me when I tell you, if you met uh, Ashish, you would know it. It's all over his face how happy this guy is. But, uh, you know, it's really incredible the work that he's done on this. And we're going to get into that here in the show. So welcome, Ashish. Such a pleasure to be here, Bob, uh, with you and this beautiful crew of yours. <laughs> um, and let me tell you, right, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it's been such a joy, my dear friend, um, to be a part of your life for over 20 years. Yes. And you definitely are, every time I talk with you, I'm filled with joy and a smile. So <laughs> it's it's super easy. You're that constant for me. So my pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. Well, following on this with the Happiness Squad and everything, you gave a, a quote. You shared a quote with me. I'd like for you to share with our audience. And what's the what, what does that mean to you, you know, that quote? Yeah. So, look, the quote I shared with you was, happiness is an inner game. Hmm. Right? Let me repeat that. Happiness is an inner game. And I think it's an important one to recognize because we are taught from an early age, oftentimes, that, you know, we need to pursue happiness from the outside. You know, whether you it's through working long hours and earning a living uh, and, you know, continuing to next buy the big house, the next vacation, the next car. We always, there's so many who are chasing happiness outside through objects, through relationships, what have you. And I think it's important to recognize that, uh, and this is what I highlight for people, is actually all of those do bring happiness, but the moment you get it, they go away. Happiness that exudes from within is timeless. And in this world right now, this is so, so, so important, Bob, because, you know, if you look at the level of prosperity we all enjoy, we have more today, at least in the middle class, than kings and queens of yesteryears. And yes, while the economic disparity between haves and the have-nots has significantly grown, the reality is the have-nots today also have more than the have-nots of yesteryears in terms yep. of access to healthcare and some of the other support that we have. Yet, when you look at any data around subjective well-being, around life satisfaction, um, you know, you would, you would not guess that. When you look at the consumption data, you would not guess that we have more than anybody has ever had before because we're consuming higher rates yep. as individuals than we have ever before, right? We're literally eating 1.7 times Earth today. And so it's important for us to recognize that and to start to kind of live into that happiness is an inner game because, you know, our longing for the outside is yep. not for more. Our longing for outside is to all. It's for all. And we will never be satisfied. Yep. I agree. Well said. I told you guys we're going to have a lot of fun today, and he brings a lot of depth to what the meaning of this is. So... Hey, what do you, just so we let the people know what to expect, what, what are the things you want them to take away out of our conversation today? 
Yeah. So I think three big things that I would love for the listeners um, to take away today, Bob. I think the first one is I would like us to kind of take a step back and think about why is it that we are struggling so much under our own intelligence, right? As I mentioned, we are more prosperous than ever. We are more connected than ever. We are living longer than ever. And frankly, in every aspect of our lives, we have more uh, we can do things faster. We can do things in, you know, 10% of the time it took to take us earlier before, right? Right. So while on the four sides, we have all of these advances, on the other hand, as I said, we are prosperous, but we are not more satisfied. We're consuming more. We're right. living longer, but our last 10 to 15 years of life that we've clawed back from death because of all the sicknesses we had are actually, for many people, not pleasant years. They are filled with chronic ailments. So we're struggling. We're creating our own uh, our own uh, on suffering, you know, in our later years. We are more connected, but we are more polarized. We have yep. lost the ability to take each other's perspectives. I mean, just look at the craziness going on with the balloons from last week and the week before the war in Russia and Ukraine, and even within the U.S., Democrats and Republicans. You know, nobody can actually even understand where the other person is coming from. And yep. then you know, this whole notion of uh, this whole notion of. Uh, we have so we should have so much free time because we can do things so fast. We are more right. busy than we've ever been. Yep. And I want people to recognize this one big insight, which is the fact that the reason all of this is happening, right, is because we have become hardwired for fear. Mm. For the first time oh. in our life, in the last 20 years, we have a crisis in every domain of existence. And it's getting worse because of this notion of seeing the world from a place of fear. And for the first time, we have a world outside that is more complex than our ability to hold it. Yeah. This is work done at Stanford and Wharton and Harvard that validates this around adult development theory. So it's important to understand the problem, right? The problem is not the outside. The problem is us and our ability to hold that complexity. Yeah. That is, that is putting us in fear. I think the second important piece is um, happiness is an inner game. There are practices that have been in every wisdom tradition. They're in Christianity. They're in the Yoga Sutras that exist and have evidence now from neuroscience and psychology that they can actually work because they fundamentally change the wiring in our brains. They increase our ability to hold complexity so we can actually thrive rather than just try and survive in this crazy, volatile, uncertain world that we're living in. Right. And then the third is, this is about not knowing. Look, we are abundantly, you know, there are so many podcasts, there are so many books, there is so much out there about knowledge. What mm. We know what the right thing to do and what not the right thing to do. The problem is not knowledge. There is a huge gap that exists between knowing versus practicing, yep. so doing, yep. and also doing it continuously so it becomes a part of us. So my invitation is to all the listeners, we're going to talk through a different set of tips. You're going to hear lots of tips. What I would say is it's not enough to hear them. Even take one tip that we're going to talk through today and start to do it every day for five minutes a day. Right. And I promise you, you'll get more from it than 50 shows that you might listen to, but choose to do nothing of. Yeah. As, as a common friend that we have now is uh, Junie Felix, and she loved in the conversation you two had, as you know, she started tiny habits, you know, yes, just little bite-sized habits. So that is great. Well, let's let the listeners know about Ashish and his upbringing and all that kind of stuff. Kind of let's put a little on that. So, uh, you, you know, where'd you grow up and take us through a little bit of your journey in the next four minutes. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's important because, you know, people think about happiness, they're like, oh my God, happiness. Yeah, like he's on a different world. That's not for me. 
Uh, but let me tell you, uh, you know, I spent, you know, I grew up in India. I grew up to middle class families and I grew up with the script that so many people pick up today here in the U.S. as well. That if you want to be happy, you have to be successful. If you have to be successful, you have to work hard. You have to work harder than the next person and you have to work, you know, more smarter than the next person. You just got to put it all in. Right. And, you know, boy, did I kind of inherit that script and did I actually execute it to a T. Yep. I came to the U.S. when I was 23 years old. It was in 97 with about, I think I had about $5,000, Bob, in my bank account, wow. you know, and that was a loan, by the way, that I had to pay back. Right. Well, 20 years later, MBA from University of Chicago, um, working in consulting, I joined McKinsey, um, a consulting firm in 2005 and rose the ranks very quickly to partner. And I was there for about 17 years, mm. helping companies drive growth, cut costs, what have you, build capabilities that help them, you know, really succeed. Yep. You know, I was, we had moved just recently to Boulder. I was 43. I had at that time a 40 year old at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you would think everything, I had done everything on that list, right. okay? That list yep. we pick up. I had a lovely wife. I love her. Um, you know, we are closer today. It'll be 15 years of marriage this year for us. Oh, so we'll congratulations. be closer today. I tell her I love her more today than I ever did the first day I met her. Yep. Um, we have a lovely son. You know, my family was doing great. Work was great. I loved the firm. Um, you know, there was nothing outside that was actually bothering that, that should have me concerned. But Bob, I was waking up every day with a high degree of anxiety. Mm. I felt like I had to throw up. There was nothing wrong externally and I was struggling, right? So this Mr. Happy guy was not so happy after all. Uh, I was anxious. And you know what was making me more anxious was the fact that I couldn't figure out what the hell it was. (laughs) Like, why am I so anxious? Right? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, if there is, if you're afraid, if you're afraid you're going to get fired or if your relationship isn't going well or you've lost a lot of money in the bank account or your parents are sick or something has happened, then you go like, yeah, I think this is the reason I can do something with it. When you have a green light in every area of your life, what the hell is wrong? Yeah. Right. (laughs) What am I not getting? And, uh, you know, there was this thing called work that, you know, frankly, you know, a lot of people said, you know, the work that I was particularly doing, there were aspects of it that I loved that I could help people. But the actual nature of it, I was doing a lot of work helping companies save money, you know, by negotiating better. And, um, you know, that that's just not me. I don't even negotiate a car. Right. So I had some clues about it. Uh, But that's what took me on this journey, Bob, right? I turned inwards. I knew I had to find answers within. No therapist was going to be able to help me because there wasn't an external world. You know what I mean? That I had to solve. And that's when I turned inwards. And that was my journey over the next five years of learning and integrating all the wisdom from the different books I read across spirituality, psychology, and neurosciences that got me to the framework I developed and, and now using to help others truly stop chasing the outside, trying to control the outside world, but learn to master their inner worlds and to generate happiness from within. And then through that, be more successful. Man, I tell you, there, I told you folks, it was going to be loaded towards some wisdom there. And that was a great insight, you know, as to marching through your, uh, you, you know, your, your career and how you came over here, what you started from and all that. And even some new things for me, (laughs) you know, and I've known you a long time. So that was great. Well, listen, folks, you got to stay tuned because we're going to be back here in the next segment with Ashish. And we're going to be talking about something that also uh, 
He's brand new at this, and he's also got something fantastic that he's going to share with you, okay? So we're going to be right back with Ashish. All right, we're back here with Ashish Kathari, my friend, a founder and CEO of Happiness Squad. And if you didn't hear it in the first segment here, buddy, I had to tell you, uh, he's got some tip stuff coming here now that you really want to take some notes on because it's great. Uh, Ashish, you know, I, like I said, I've known you for a long time. And, and frankly, when you told me what you're doing, I went, <clears throat> makes all the sense in the world, but you're walking away from a big career yeah. and all the rest of that stuff. So as you said in the last segment, you know, anxiety, which <clears throat> you had to find out why do you pin up all this anxiety. So in this process, what did you discover? And then how's that manifesting itself with your, with, with your new business and what you're trying to take out to the community? Yeah, Bob, great question. So look, uh, I think both the how and the what are important okay. right? Um, in terms of what, what I'm doing now. So what I discovered, uh, no surprise, right, was when you're living a life incoherent with what your true calling is and mm -hmm. what truly fills you with joy, when your job is basically just a way to earn a paycheck, you have a lot of suffering. Right. And as I mentioned to you, uh, the work that I was doing, a lot of aspects of it were very fulfilling because I could really help people. And that was really core to who I was as a person. But there were other aspects of where I spent 70, 80 percent of my brain power um, that around how do I help people save more money, which just, you know, I don't care about that in my own life. So like trying to do that 70, 80 percent of your time helping others with that, you can imagine the, you know, the, you can imagine the disconnect there. Yep. Uh, but, you know, um, we continue executing on that because when something is going so well for you, you're stuck in place of a fear, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I, li I know this, I can do more, but uh, I'm afraid if something all goes wrong, what happens, right? right. In fact, the, the funny story is the title of my book, Hardwired for Happiness, was not actually the title of the book till 2022 February. Wow. My working title of the book for 15 months while I was working on it was actually From Fear to Freedom, ah. A Journey from Within to Live Your Best Life. Okay. Because the diagnosis that I had was the fact that it is fear that holds us back. It is fear that, that makes us continue doing things even though they're not working for us because we're not willing to go through that threshold towards something new, afraid of what's something on the other side. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I also realized as I started researching, what are the drivers that allow us to shift away from fear? What are the um, things that allow us to flourish? Mm -hmm. What I found was there were so many of these practices that I write about in my book that the whole company that I'm doing is based on. I mean, they were in every wisdom tradition, Bob, right now. Practices like self-awareness, know thyself, right. you know, is written on the oldest Greek temples. Um, you know, practices like mindfulness, practices like gratitude and being satisfied with what you've got. I mean, they are in every religious tradition, Christianity, yep. uh, you know, the power of community and relationships and churches just have such a beautiful element of bringing everybody together. You know, yep. those things exist in mosques. They exist in temples. There are these things that bring us together. We know how important community is. All of these practices are out there. And yet... Most people don't do them. Yep. We are so busy running through life, chasing happiness outside that we don't, right? And so I realized through my own journey that I was the same. 
you know, I wasn't taking the time to integrate these into my life. And boy, I have to tell you, Bob, as I started following my calling, as I started integrating some of these practices into my life, how I started experiencing life changed. Mm. And so when you talk about, wow, you left kind of a seven-figure career for one of the most prestigious firms in the world for starting something of your own, were you afraid? Um, And I always say, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it's not that when I went and started doing this, what I was doing was it was my calling. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, that is what allowed me to break away from the fear of like, oh my God, what has happened? There was a fundamental shift that happened in me, Bob, from a life focused on me and mine to a life focused on me and service. There you go. Um, That's the essence. That's the essence, right? We all go through that. At some point when we realize that if we really have to be happy, no amount of what we do for ourselves is going to be enough. But when we start to dedicate our life to others, when we start to live integrating these values and these practices into our life, I mean, you know, we have so much. Yep. Uh, and that's the work that I'm doing now, Bob, right? So with Happiness Squad, the focus of my work with individuals and with companies is actually all around how do we help build more psychological resilience? How do we actually help people integrate these practices into their lives? The focus is on practice and being. Yeah. There is enough knowledge out there. Yep. It's all about how do we help them? And we're and using we the neuroscience of habit formation to do that. Yep. I love it because, uh, you know, again, it's it's preordained for you because look at the time where we're at right now. We've just gone through a pandemic. Anxiety, depression is at the highest it's ever been with young people uh, everywhere you look. And so uh, and, and there's more emphasis on it now. Culture, you know, mindfulness and everything else. So you are right in the right in the mainstream. But what I loved about what you brought up was happiness, you know, and that's inter you know, interhappiness, yes. being satisfied with who you are, being satisfied in your own skin. And you got that it became a calling for you to help other people because you were feeling it yourself. All the success in the world wasn't making you happy. You know, it was yeah. on the outside, it appeared like it, but inside you weren't. And now being able to be good, you know, good with that, to shed that and all of a sudden say, hey, uh, there's something here I got to fix, you know, within me, this doesn't, this something's wrong here. And then you dove into it big time. So, um, you already touched upon the hat, but the, what types of problems you help people solve. So why don't you share that a little bit too, because, and how you do that, give these tips you were talking to us about. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll give you, you know, at the core of it, it's about addressing the, the whole epidemic of stress and anxiety that we are, and loneliness, Bob, right? So I'll give you some stats. I mean, these are scary stats. Um, 60% of Americans are report loneliness, according to the recent Gallup poll. Yep. 60%. Yep. We are more connected, and we are so lonely. Yep. 40 to 60% of workers across, whether it's Gallup, whether it is Thrive, whether it's IBM's poll, whether it's our own poll we did at McKinsey, 40 to 60% of workers are stressed, anxious, and burnt out. And I'm trying to address that. By the way, this doesn't just start at work. This starts way earlier than that. There was a paper that came out in the paper in the journal two days ago. This stat rocked my world. I mean, I was moving down this path already, and it gave me even more reason to move with urgency. And it was this stat, Bob. It was a study by CDC from 2021 that just got uh, released, okay, based on a survey they did this. 
60% of teenage girls are reporting hopelessness no and depression. Wow. But there is a second stat that was in that article. And if you haven't, your listeners, I invite you to search for Teenage Girls Wall Street Journal to find that article. And if it isn't a wake-up call for all of us about the world we're living in, I don't know what is. This was the stat. 30% of teenage girls contemplated suicide. Oh. oh my okay? One in three. So if any of the listeners who have daughters who are teenagers, if you know of two other families, one in three of you has somebody whose daughter considered ending their life. Wow. This is how big this issue is in our world right now. Yep. Despite all the prosperity, despite the opportunities, we are focusing on what we don't have. Yeah. And that's the urgency of the world. So at Happiness Squad, we're building offerings that are going to help college students build psychological resilience before they show up to college. Ah, very We're good. building offerings for organizations that can fundamentally work on helping them create cultures of flourishing so that employees are not stressed, anxious, burnt out, and doing crazy things out there. And we're building offerings for individuals who in a community, in a virtual community, we can provide them access to these tools grounded in neuroscience of habit formations that can help them unlock their best selves. That's great. Places where they great. can show up and practice. Places they can show up and practice all the way. So those are the three or four different offerings, Bob, that I'm really excited to bring into the world. Um, okay. Because I don't know what else is more important right now than to yep. be able to take all my gifts that I have over the years and my true calling and my true essence, which is one of relationships, Yep. Um, and really dedicate the second half of my life towards really taking this head on and helping uh, make a dent in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we wrap this up real quickly, uh, you know, all this wisdom and the stuff that you came with, though, came at a price of you having to take time out. And how yes. many books did you read on this? I read close to 550 books. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And yeah. you boiled it. <clears throat> you boil because uh, I've had this happen, all these books and all these different stuff. And you really can boil that down, right? <laughs> I to boiled it to nine practices, things. Bob. Yeah. Nine practices, and I'll start, you know, at the heart of it is the practice of self-awareness. Okay. Okay, self-awareness, knowing how we make sense of the world. Anais Nin said this, right? The world isn't the way it appears to be. The, the world, we see the world as we are, not as the world is. Yep. So it starts with that really understanding how we are seeing the world. And from that place, we can start to make a lot of shifts. But then the other practices, and I'll invite your listeners to do this, gratitude, Highest return on investment of your time. Work done by Marty Seligman. Uh, Dr. Seligman was the father of positive psychology 20 years ago. If you spend five minutes every day just writing down three things you're grateful for, in eight weeks, you can experience 25 to 30% improved, uh, you know, how you experience the world more positively. Nothing in the world needs to change, but your ability to sense into what's great. <clears throat> how much we have can change well, you, that. You hit on something that is absolutely hitting me right here, buddy, because uh, for the last seven years, I've chosen a word for the year. And last year's word for me was gratitude. Beautiful. So every morning before I got up, just like what you said, what am I grateful for? Every night before I laid my head down, what am I grateful for? And 
it was unbelievable, particularly with what I went through last year, you know? Yes. I am extremely grateful. And I can tell you right now that that got me through a lot of, uh, a lot of some of the circumstances I had to go through was because that gratitude. And I'm so blessed to your point, you know, if you really focus on how blessed you are, I mean, then all the rest of this stuff kind of starts to melt away, you know? But uh, anyway, I know we're a little bit, uh, well, folks, listen, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with Ashish Kathari, and he's going to unload on you some more of his wisdom, okay? All right. Hey, we're back here with my guest, Ashish Kathari. Boy, if you haven't taken and written down a couple of things right now, but if you thought that was something, wait to hear what he's got for more for you. <clears throat> now, he's not going to give away the store. But he's got a couple more things that we're going to talk about that he learned through reading over 500 some books, taking and getting some inner peace, getting shedding this anxiety and really understanding, you know, happiness is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. All the stuff that's surrounding us. He gave some great examples of that. Also, some scary statistics. Yeah, thank as you. To what thank is you, going Bob. Uh, and, you know, you know I'll tell you, first today, of all, especially with our young I'm people, with you today, and I have so much appreciation comes, course, that his calling is taking a lot of books into account them getting to young people because of all the depression, the anxiety, and everything else that's going on. But it's on. also so, through my own Kishish, what else could you share with our you know, audience? As I mentioned, the core issue we're trying to break is the divide between knowing and doing. It's a huge ocean between the two. Um, and if you do it consistently, it becomes a part of your being, right? You start to see the world. It's not something conscious. The look, folks, you know, depending on who you listen to and what you follow, anywhere from 50 to 90% of what we do every day is unconscious. Right. It's through our habits, right? And so yep. the core work, as you think about these tips we're going to share, the core work, if we can do this, is if we, through practice, shift conscious skills to unconscious skills, the better we can get. Think about when you were starting to drive a car. Yep. How conscious were you about the accelerator, yep. the brake, the steering, what was left, what's right, and think about how you drive now, 5, 10, 15 years into it. You can now be like, you know, it's scary sometimes. I can see somebody putting on a lipstick while having latte and a phone on their hand, and they're driving. You could never do that the first time you learned how to drive. So if we can do that, that's my point with these practices. If we can practice intentionally, yep. very soon they become part of our habit nature. We don't have to consciously do them, but they start to kind of help us experience the world differently, <laughs> right? So that's kind of really, really yep. important. I've experienced it. And more importantly, people I've right. coached through this work over my last five years, over 100 executives, over 1,000 plus company employees that have gone through Works that I've done, right, experience a fundamental shift in their way of experiencing the world. Okay. Gratitude, we touched on, is a really, really big one, folks, right? Really huge one. If you can just sit and write down three things you're grateful for, you will have transformative effects in eight weeks, if not less. I'll tell you another one. And I really want you to think about this. Okay. Doing work... Yep that actually has meaning for you. Don't quit your job. Find ways to infuse meaning into what you do. Yep. Let me repeat that. A lot of people in during the pandemic time said, I don't like what I'm doing. It has no meaning. I'm going to leave. Okay? And I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake because if you think about the core elements of what gives us meaning, Oftentimes, it's at the intersection of these four key things that yep. are talked about in the model called the Ikigai model. 
uh, right? What we love, what we are good at, what the world needs and is willing to pay for. When we find that, that's at the intersection of these four, what we love, what we are good at, what the world needs and is willing to pay for, we are in flow. We love what we are doing. Work and life can be integrated because what I'm working on is something I love. It is not something I have to put up with. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you experience amazing levels of growth. It's really important to think about it that way. And when you have a job, the good news is at least two out of the three things are yeah. actually in place for you. You know? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And and what we love can be infused into what we are doing, Bob, right? Like if you are if you have a job, it probably leverages some of your strengths. It's it's something that the world yep. needs. Otherwise, who the hell is well, yeah, going to pay you for what it? You, well, you brought that up because uh, my right? grandpa so and my father said four. it all the time. If so you do what you love, you'll never you love. work a day you know, in your For life. one of my clients I was coaching, yeah. you know, um, he was a frontline employee right in a plant. He, it was a single. He used to yep. work at a station and kind of handle the jobs, right? Uh, but outside of job, I knew that he loved coaching. In fact, he loved coaching so much. He coached three right. different teams, two of the teams that weren't even his kids' teams. And he used to spend all this time coaching in the evenings, right? After a full day of hard work. And so I asked him, you know, his name was Bill. Mm-hmm. And I said, Bill, why don't you coach at work? He said, well, I can't coach. I, I mean, I have this job here. I work on this line. I said, yeah, but you have so much more experience than so many others. Why don't you show them and teach right. them? And, you know, he started doing right. that. And it whole experience at work completely changed because he brought something that he loves into what he's doing. And so I always invite people to do that because, look, work occupies one third of our living lives. Work is something we do majority of the time outside of sleeping. Okay, why would we not want to work in a way that is filled with love, that is filled with joy for us? That is truly what you know what I mean? People say, well, work is how I earn a living. You know, I live my life outside. I'm like, why? That's what you do nine hours a day. Why do you want to live on the weekends? Yep. You can't do it. You're constantly balancing stuff and it doesn't work. You can't bifurcate your life. You know, I talk about this all the time. You can't be some, you know, three different people. Uh, that was a life I tried to live for a while. And I got to tell you, you can't do it because it's just exactly. Absolutely. And you remind me of a, a very famous thing that Zig Ziglar said one day or when I was at one of his, uh, his conferences. And this was really profound for me. He said, if you can't do what you love, then love why you do it. And the point of that was he gave an illustration, you know, guys that are down the sewers, you know, or, you know, in in really crappy jobs, you know, dirty jobs kind of thing. He said, you know, they might be the the purpose of work. I love it. And even I'll build one one, one thing on top of it. It's also how we see it. You know, if you see it from a far enough place, and I'm sure you've heard why they're doing it. And because we have to have people in all these different occupations, people who are making the wall, you know, they can't love the work they're doing. They ask the first person, it's the same job, right? For the first person, he said, well, this is how I pay for my kid's education. So this is what I'm doing. I'm laying bricks, right? He's a bricklayer. For the second one, he said, you know, I'm actually an engineer. It's hard times. I can't get a job. This is a job I could get. But look at my wall. It's better than everybody else's. And I want the site manager to recognize it and get make me promoted in charge of the whole thing. 
and then I'm going to move up. Second category of people who think about a job as a profession as a way to go up. They ask the third person, and you know, same guy, same, same, same job, right? He was laying, laying uh, bricks, building a wall, and he said, you know, I'm building a cathedral. I'm, uh, I'm not building a wall. I'm building a cathedral. You know, God has played a big part in my life, and I want them to experience His greatness, right. His grace, and His ability to heal, and that's what I'm doing. So when you gave the example of the, even the person in the sewer, right? If somebody's cleaning the sewers, of course he can say. Or she can ah. say, well, I'm doing this for my kid. But you can imagine what the world would be if the sewer wasn't there. What diseases would be around? How big of a difference are they making? And by the way, this is not just a hypothetical wow. case. You know, not that far wow. from where we, you are, Bob. Michigan Ross, extensive research right. done. Most people do think about jobs in three categories. It's, it's a way to earn a living. It's a profession or it's a calling. And consistently from janitors right. to um, firemen, yep to uh, teachers across the board. When we think about our job as our calling, when we find meaning in what we are doing and we really think about the difference it's making, we are more effective, we are more successful, we are more adaptable, we are kinder, our quality of work is higher. So I think it's really, really important that people figure out a way to infuse meaning into what they do. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I had an instance with a gentleman. He was uh, pounding frames out in a uh, factory for housing for, uh, you know, for uh, uh, the, um, I can't remember the name of him now. Anyway, for the framing for the house. Right. And so, you know, we had a session with them, just kind of an overview of business development and then where do they fit, you know, cause they took them off the factory floor. And so, you know, what I shared with him that day, and he, so he, a big guy, his name was Jack. He looked like a younger a, a lumberjack. And he was standing off the side when we ended the session. He says, came up to me, he says, Bob, can I, he says, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. Love he it. says, I got to share something with you. Up until today, yes. I've been here for 20 years. Up until today, this was a J-O-B. Until you showed me where I fit into building the home of somebody's dreams, okay, and the better I do at that, yeah. the more homes of people's dreams we're going to be able to build. I mean, I would, I still get goosebumps, yeah. Ashish, talking about this because that was a light bulb moment for this guy where it shifted from being a You know, the only other one that I would highlight, Bob, and point, I think this is so important. You know, if I asked you, doing and what, what is the most providing? important thing and, in your world? Was, what is beautiful. most important so, to you? Hey, brother. Amen. Hey, <laughs> you know, your I'm, faith. I'm What's next? Exactly all the stuff you're talking about. Well, there in we the go. remaining minute here, faith is there not any other things you want to share right? with him before we get to Often the come segment? up, right? Family often comes up as a really, really important one, two, or three, right? Often one or two, right? Yet mm-hmm. when we think about how we yeah, spend our faith. time, family is the yep. least where we spend my family. our time. You know what else we spend the least amount of time on? Yep. And then from there Us. it goes out. Huh? Self. You can't pour from an empty cup, dear friends. Yep. You cannot pour from yep. an empty cup. And in our culture, you know, if you care about yourself, you're being selfish. And I say be selfish. Feed yourself yep. so you can really be there and make the right choices and mm-hmm. be there with your family so you can serve yep. the world better. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can find us on, uh, you know, they can join our community. It's called community.happinesssquad.com. Yeah, that is beautiful, man. Uh, where they can and sign that's up. that's why this happiness um, squad, why you formed this, this habit and everything like that. Course that I, mentioned, I, I right? want to just 26, briefly let people uh, know where they can find course. you, okay, and get on um, board They can also with find us on uh, www.happinesssquad.com, our, our company website, where they can figure out a range of different services we offer. I post okay. my blogs there. And finally, um, you know, for all the podcast listeners, since we are on a podcast together, search up Happiness Squad. Um, we have a podcast that we launched in January. And I think you'll hear from a lot of great uh, business leaders as well as experts in the fields from mindfulness to gratitude to well-being around how you can unlock your best self uh, from within. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. That's great, Ashish. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in the last okay. session talking hey, about Hey, we're how back we here with my friend Ashish Kathari, right the founder and CEO of Happiness Squad. And I we've got a mystery subject that he and I have determined. We're going to chew on for a little bit. We, uh, I, I neglected to tease you a little bit in the last segment, you know, why about this. But Ashish, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to chew on? As a leader, why and how? Why and how should you create a workplace where people are happy right. and healthier? Why? Why should he care about that? Yeah. Let's talk about that, Bob. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Well, as I was sharing with you, uh, you know, one of the things, the studies that are really coming forth now is when, when people can bring their whole self. There's studies going on with it. That's why there's an emphasis on culture now and all that. But when people can bring their whole self, and what we're finding is the, uh, you know, employee resource groups that are, are really forming and they're really getting bigger and bigger, uh, where somebody can be their whole self when they come there, whether that be somebody that is not of faith, that is of faith, yes. or, you know, they're have something different about them, you know, when they can express themselves and bring their whole self, what they're finding is they're much more productive. They are happier at what they do. They have a better interchange with their, you know, fellow employees uh, around them because part of this is, you know, we've gotten into a big judgment society, you know, and putting labels on people. And so I, yes. I think that's another reason why people got dissatisfied with what they were doing. Because I think it's they, they were getting judged under a Bob, lot of pressure. Bob, you know I've spent 25 so years why don't you share with the audience and drive your experience, right? and you've so got I mean, a vast the, amount of experience. The angle I come at it is what not can from a, leader do? a researcher sitting in an Ivory Tower do or a spiritual mystic guru wearing a loincloth sitting in a cave. You know, exuding wisdom pearls, right? This is from hard-lived lives of performing and delivering and helping clients deliver. You know, my case for why companies and individuals should, yep. and leaders should care about happier workplaces is one of performance. Look, the data is very clear from Oxford, Warwick, Gallup, whichever source you want to look at. <laughs> Those companies that are right. have happier employees, 
are have usually 2x stock market returns than those that don't, are about 20% more productive and profitable, are 3x more creative, and have 65% yep. lower attrition. So my case for why you should care about happiness is not because, you know, you care about people. Yes, you should do that because you care about people too. But if you don't care about people as much, at least you care about yourself, mm. do it because it increases mm. your chances of success as a leader in taking the organization where you need to. We work in, we don't work in an industrial economy anymore where it's the machines that are going to give us the returns. It's the people, right? And our approach through which we manage and support people in being their best selves are so broken. You know, we can talk about that. Um, we can talk about that. But let me talk about the four or five elements before that that are really, really key around making right. sure people thrive. Okay. Um, I think the first yep. one we covered already. When people find meaning in what they're doing, they show up excited to work, right? I'm looking forward and I'm really engaged. What I care has meaning beyond just a paycheck. So I'm not going to just check the box because I can check the box and uh, get a paycheck. So why would I do more than check a box? I'll do more than I care about. When, I do, when I'm doing something I really care about, then I'm going to do yep. more than that, right? The second yep. one is well-being. When we are really working in a way that, you know, yep. our workplaces are not designed integrating the science of uh, what allows us to be at our best from a neuroscience point of view. We know from neurosciences beyond 90 minutes, our attention spans start to drop. Our, our cognitive abilities yep. almost go down by 15, 20%. And yet how many people spend 10 hours back-to-back -back Zoom meetings? Right? How many people sleep four or five hours and often those hours slept are actually filled with stress and anxiety? Right. And then, you know, we know when we are sleeping less than seven hours a night, our, our uh, ability, cognitive IQs drop by 30%. So, you know, thinking about how we truly help our yeah. individual employees, <laughs> well those who work for us, work when they show up, yeah. they are at their best, right? First is I show up excited. I care about something more, so I'm going to really give it yeah. other than just check the box. Second is when I show up, I'm actually at my best. I'm not stressed, exhausted, burnt out, and only operating at wow. 50%. Third is the element you talked about, Bob. How do I create a true environment of belonging where I can show up as my whole self versus mm -hmm. feel like I have to don a persona to fit in. Really, really powerful. And you know, leaders can do that by being vulnerable right. themselves, by really building trust, by really connecting deeply with each other. And then the fourth one is around how do we actually, through the language, yep. through the words we use, fundamentally create workplaces that create positive spirals of energy. Yes through gratitude, yep. empathy, and compassion yep. into how we interact with each other. These are not things we yep. need to do one-off, right? I know of companies who do once a year gratitude. Why? Every week you send a weekly status report. What about thanking people every week for what they've done? And simultaneously learning how to have conflicts constructively. You know, there is so much mm -hmm. resentment and resignation that I see in companies run rampant that fundamentally gets into the heart of productivity. Right. But it's that human interactions that leave us drained at the end of the day. It doesn't have you to bet. be that way. We can build yep. the skills to help people have constructive conflicts as a way to come close. Um, and so that's the work that I'm doing a lot of, Bob, today, is helping people build skills at scale around these four capabilities of meaning, well-being, 
belonging, and what I call emotional mastery. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. You know, a couple of things come to mind as you went through that, too, of building a culture, a team, you know, that cares. I go back to the Bulls, you know, the run that the Bulls had. And that never happened until, you know, Michael Jordan realized that there's no I in team. And, and Phil Jackson, the master yes. of, you know, putting stuff together. Uh, and those guys played like they truly were happy. <laughs> you know, they, they were happy in the locker room. There, you know, many stories about that. The other one, too, is, a, is a, 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 I don't know who it was attributed to, but I use it frequently. And that is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, and, and that's a profound statement when you think about it, because we a lot of us get filled with all the knowledge we have. We want to show up and throw up about how important we are and how much knowledge we have and the smartest mm -hmm. guy in the room, you know, syndrome and all the rest of that or gal in the room. And, you know, when I teach at, at Northwestern and University of Chicago and all that, I got 45 minutes to give these kids a couple of skills. And I basically give you when you walk out of here, you're going to have two skills. OK, and these are. These are go back to the dawn of man. Ask great questions and shut up and listen because God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in those proportions. I, I think if people were more thoughtful about understanding where somebody else is coming from, having, you know, you don't have to agree with it. But what I'm saying is, you know, we've lost that. You know, we've lost civility. We've lost a lot of things because things have become so yeah. polarized and all, all the labels being put on. But just imagine if all that crap shut away it and is we were nice. able to actually have good conversation with people. And the conversation, to your point, were, were from a yeah. love perspective about loving yourself. You know, the two greatest commandments were love your neighbor as yourself yeah. and, right, and love, right, and love Only the Lord so again. long. So the Only whole so point long. of that is. It's love, you know, <laughs> and we come from that heartfelt set. And then to your, also to your point, you can't love somebody else unless you're happy. Right. Yeah. I mean, and if you're not happy, how, well, how possibly well, can right, you love, from love other from people? The mind. So, and the I mean, you can fake it, you know, that I would but have for uh, myself it, it and doesn't for work so many others. Yeah. Listen, I want to close it out here real quick because you are, you are uh, what I call the man of wisdom. It's so what wisdom what or words of wisdom you would you have given to your younger self? All that is great. We should do that. But we are worthy just as we are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Right. Yeah. As I tell my students, you know, you're a 10 before you got here. You're a 10 while you're here and you're 10 when you go out because God doesn't create junk. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, my friend, thank you it's so on, much. For it's being on Apple and Spotify. Again, so I go to those places Ashish so they can Kathari. get it. There. He is the founder and CEO of Happiness Squad. Thank you, get Bob. Out, check Such it a out. pleasure to be with uh, you. At, be well. Um, www.happinessquad.com. He's got all kinds of great stuff out there for you. Listen to his podcast. Get out there. Uh, YouTube, is that what you're on for your podcast? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, my friend.